Guardian Unlimited. Ferrari turn the tables on McLaren and score a 1-2 in Belgium. A win for Kimi Raikkonen keeps the Finn in touch with the McLaren drivers. Fernando Alonso finishes third and closes the gap on championship leader Lewis Hamilton to just two points with three races to go. Welcome to the Formula One show on Guardian Unlimited. This is Morris Hamilton from The Observer, joined here at Spa-Francorchamps by Ian Phillips, the business affairs manager at Spiker. Now, before we discuss the action on the track, earlier today, Ian and I had a little chat about the topic that has dominated conversation here at Spa and around the world, it has to be said. It's, of course, the Ferrari-McLaren spy scandal and that $100 million fine. Ian, we know now what happened in the McLaren-Ferrari uh, so-called spy scandal, and we know the penalty, $100 million fine, all championship points removed. Max Mosley, the president of the FIA, has actually intimated that he thinks that the fine is a bit lenient rather than uh, too harsh. Um, now, you're involved in the commercial side of Formula One. What's your view about all of this? <laughs> uh, I think it's a masterstroke. 100 million is an absolute masterstroke because most people can't even write that on their calculator. It there's not enough spaces on an eight-figure calculator. You can't actually get it on. The world at large thinks that 100 million is huge and, and of course, totally outrageous. It's pure Formula One. This is because you know there's such a mystique about the money in Formula One, and you know everybody says that we earn billions and and all the rest of it and this is going to cripple somebody, it's not. <laughs> at, at the end of the day, um, half of it will come out of prize money, which they won't get. Um, and in McLaren terms, I don't know, they probably operate on close on a half a billion dollars um, budget per year, um, one way or another, between McLaren and Mercedes and what everybody spends. Um, of course, that it would be a fifth of that. Um, and it's, it's big in anybody's terms, but I think they'll be able to swallow it, no problem. If it was Spiker, no way. Um, you know, we operate on $50 million a year. Um, Oh, we're only two seconds behind. <laughs> <laughs> but we're talking here about uh, the value of $100 million within Formula One. What about, yes, you're right, that it's a big number and it's caught everybody's attention. But having said that, Ian, in the outside world, it is a huge sum. And we're hearing all sorts of stories in the outside world about difficulties people are having with mortgages and so on. Surely it is uh, creating a rather bad impression of Formula One. And it's uh, we know that too much money is f f sloshing around it from in certain places. Perhaps it's, it's not good for Formula One for this to be the case. Yeah, well, I think we have the FIA to blame for that, don't we, really? I mean, they're always telling us that we've got to look green and, and all the rest of it. I mean, how many starving people with that kind of money uh, 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 look after? You know, and they're talking about promoting young uh, motor racing driver careers. I mean, you know, yeah, it, it is an obscene amount. It's an obscene figure, whether it's an amount of money or whatever it is. It's an obscene figure and... Yet again, probably the sport has totally shot itself uh, in the foot by going to an extreme, but that is Formula One. It's what we do, and it's the mystique of, of Formula One and a lot of what people love about it. Um, I think 
we probably don't look very clever at it. But then we're not very clever in, in certain things. I mean, spin doctors have, have, have come into the into the business. Uh, you know, if you actually sit here in the paddock and have and have to do the business, the reality is far removed from what the public perception of Formula One is. You know, we run things a lot tighter, and there's a lot less money than people really think. But you you can build up these these figures. And while it was wonderful headline grabbing stuff on uh, on thurs Thursday evening that could I think as you're intimating be repercussions people say well that's not politically not very correct to be uh, sloshing that kind of money about getting on to the charges themselves Ian we now know that McLaren did have information relative to the uh, Ferraris before uh, Mike Coughlin their chief designer actually got the 780 page manual they knew things about waste weight distribution, brake balance, uh, what uh, laps they were stopping on and so on in the first first race anyway in Melbourne and had information in subsequent races. Um, the, the Court of Appeal decided that, or sorry, the, the World Council decided that they did have that information but they didn't actually incorporate it in their car. They've actually been docked all these points and fined this money for having information that was giving them a, quote, sporting advantage, but nothing went on the car. So relative to that, do you think that the, pen, the punishment losing all championship points and the big fine is correct? It's pretty harsh. I, I have to say it's pretty harsh because... I don't think anybody can, can dispute now that that kind of information was was made available to McLaren and who perhaps should have surrendered. I, I still can't get my head around why it's particularly why McLaren should be punished when Ferrari's HR department should have realised they've got a disgruntled English employee there and their security department should have stopped him walking out with all this kind of information. But I suppose that's that's another chapter and one that, that will perhaps never ever be written. It is it is mighty harsh. I mean it, in in the real world there are people up and down the paddock every day um, giving information away, either deliberately, I won't say for cash, um, or inadvertently. Um, it's information does pass. It always has done, Morris, and to be honest, it probably always will do. It's, I think it's probably a bit of a reminder to everybody that, you know, if you get if you get caught doing it, the, the punishment's going to be pretty hard. I, I really think the whole thing got blown out of proportion. It, 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 it really did. Um, and it should have been settled very early on. It should never, ever have, have gone this gone this far. I, I, you know, I, I can't. I, I don't like to question anybody's integrity. I, I genuinely don't think anybody was deliberately cheating here. I really, really don't. Um, and it, it has been allowed to go too far. I know not why, whether it's been inflamed by the media or actually the administrators of, of Formula One actually just for once lost their grip. Well, one of the suggestions on that subject, Ian, has been that there's been a little bit of uh, personal animosity here that uh, Max Mosley, the president of the FIA, and Ron Dennis, the team principal at McLaren, don't necessarily see eye to eye, don't necessarily get on. To get on. Now, Max Mosley has refuted that uh, uh, wholeheartedly. Uh, what's your thought on that? Because you know them both. Yes, and, and I have witnessed over 20-odd years some uh, fairly um, mean um, activities by, uh, by the President uh, or Mr Dennis. Some, a lot of the time he asked for them, 
Um, but I do think people think it, it got personal. <clears throat> and I never wanted to say that I thought it had to, but I must admit in the last 10 days or so, I, th I thought it was. Um, and it, it's unfortunate. There is a history between the, the two. You know, when when Mosley gave his retirement speech in, in Manicor three or four years ago, which he subsequently went back on, he talked about Ron's assistant being one knife short of a full cutlery, canteen of cutlery or something like that. I mean, <clears throat> yeah, there is a history. There is no getting away from it. And I, I can understand why I'm saying, or why Max is saying it isn't, but... He must also understand why the world thinks that it, it, it was personal. Listen, they kissed and made up outside the Spike and Boat home here last night. I hope that is the end of it because I think both sides will accept it's gone much too far. And come on, we've got a great world championship going on. You know, let's get on with it. It's the best one we've had for ages. So let's all shut up and get on with it. Exactly. Let's talk about the racing. <laughs> Okay, let's get back to the racing, finally. So, Ian, a Ferrari 1-2 here at Spa, a complete reverse of the result at Monza, where we saw the McLarens uh, defeat the home team. Good for the championship, good for Ferrari, very convincing. Wonderful for the championship. I mean, all this, all this nonsense of the, the politics we've had. We don't need it, Morris. We're in the midst of one of the best championships we've had in years. Just seven days ago, we were saying, how can anybody beat McLaren on the form that they showed at Monza? Here we are at Spa, seven days later, who's going to beat Ferrari? And, you know, we've got three races left to go, all pretty challenging tracks, just, just like this one. Um, very, very convincing show from Ferrari today. I think uh, the first lap was a bit, might have been the defining moment in uh, the two McLaren drivers, the way they're going. Alonso was not going to give up on, on Hamilton. Perhaps we'll go into that uh, a bit more, but that was that was really quite breathtaking, Those uh, that first half a lap or so. But great stuff from Ferrari. The championship really is wide open now, and Kimi Raikkonen can win it. On this form, if he wins the last three races, he's going to be world champion. Well, no, it's interesting, isn't it? because Raikkonen has won twice here before. He really likes this track. Massa did everything he could because he desperately needed to win it to keep his name in the championship hat. And it, and it didn't quite work out because he just he made a mistake during qualifying, which relegated him to the outside of the front row. By the way, the first Ferrari front row of the year, uh, quite timely as well. But Raikkonen, you always felt, really had the measure of him and of this track. Massa locked up his brake a little bit going into the first corner. That was all Raikkonen needed. And Massa just appeared to be powerless. I think we have to say, I know he said it at Monza a week ago, but I think he now has to be out of the frame. Ferrari surely have to do something about this. Yeah, I think so. I mean, uh, I, Massa, he's, I think he surrendered really, Morris, we thought, in uh, in Hungary. Yeah, he had a great win in Turkey, but yeah, he's not quite there, is he? He makes one or two mistakes. Remember, he threw away Melbourne with a, with a mistake in qualifying, and, you know, he's not quite the article. Kimi Raikkonen, I can't remember where we first... Which race it was, Morris, that we thought, hang on, Raikkonen's found it, got very comfortable here at Ferrari, and when, and when the car's working, uh, he's looking good. And I have to say, his form here has been absolutely terrific. Perfect performance today. Yeah, I think it was that one-two in France and Britain, wasn't it? Because I remember in the first part of the season, we had beginning, we've been wondering whether he was actually going to settle in and make it. But he seems very at home and very chilled out. Even when looking ahead to the next race in Japan, he was just casually saying, "I've never been to Fuji. I don't know which way the track goes." And he looked not in the least worried about it. Uh, I think there's a there's a nightclub in. Uh 
in Tokyo called Lexington Queen, which is actually where all the all the drivers go before and after the race. And I'm sure there'll be somebody there telling them which way round it goes. Well, there'll be Eddie Irvine for a start. <laughs> So Ian, let's move on to McLaren now. What a tussle this is turning out to be here. A lot of pressure here on the leader of the World Championship, Lewis Hamilton, because the best he could do yesterday was uh, fourth quickest in practice and qualifying. And even though Fernando Alonso had a spin on his penultimate lap, he still got his head together well enough to qualify ahead of his teammate. He couldn't quite match the Ferraris, but he was there. And then in the race, as you said earlier on, that first corner side by side and all the way down to uh, O'Rourke. And my goodness, none of them backing off at all. That was fantastic stuff, wasn't it? Yeah, it really was. I mean, I've seen it about five or six times now and I actually sat here with our drivers and talked them through it after the race. And you just have to watch this. It was really fantastic stuff. And as I mentioned earlier, it could be. Yeah, it certainly it defined that Alonso is not going to give up his title without some fight. I, I mean, the McLaren motorhomes across the way from where we are, and I think I've seen steam coming out of the top floor because, uh, you know, the drivers keep saying what good friends they are, but I mean, they they touch coming out of Lassau's. Hamilton went down the, the sort of the extra bit of tarmac that runs by the side of the track. He was back. He was back on the track just before they entered Orouge in front of Alonso, who then keeps his foot buried on the accelerator and comes up the inside of him. I mean, nobody's been through there side by side in the last 50 years, as far as I know. You wouldn't even think that it was possible, to be honest, in a, in a Formula One in a Formula One car, a saloon car maybe, but it was absolutely extraordinary stuff. And, you know, if, if Hamilton didn't know it before today, he knows that his teammate is not going to surrender his title at all and you know going back to to yesterday i thought alonso's recovery in in qualifying to set uh, the third fastest time was actually pretty good and how close was he to actually putting it on the front row i mean it was you know a hundredth of a second or something like that it was it, it was the best mclaren had looked all weekend I, I, there's been so much going on i hadn't really taken much notice of what the cars were up to and watched qualifying quite closely yesterday to see whether ferrari had the upper hand or, or McLaren were well in there. And to be honest, it was difficult to tell um, with what Alonso did, but actually it showed in the race that Ferrari had, had the extra pace. But, you know, well, you know, poor old Ron Dennis, he's gone from one crisis into another now because he's got to somehow manage, uh, you know, these two drivers going for the championship. Lewis is still in the lead of the championship, which is quite phenomenal, really. I mean, he's been in the lead of the championship for a long time now, uh, but only a couple of points in front of his teammate. Raikkonen can win it. Lewis can stop him winning it if he finishes second. I think that's the way the mathematics work out. So, you know, we've got, we've got three races going all the way down to the wires. Wonderful stuff. Do you, I mean, the, Hamilton's lead was 12 points at one point in this season. He's watched it gradually whittle away. And we've come to this absolutely crucial part of the season where so we're into the final three races now. We're really, are we seeing here in the experience of a, of a twice world champion telling and Lewis, who appears to be fading by that? I'm not being derogatory when I say that, but just fading by his standards because the pressure is, is on. He didn't put a wheel wrong during qualifying, but he wasn't quick enough. He looked good today, went off the road a little bit occasionally just trying so hard the message coming home to him must now surely be good grief Alonso is after me and he is not going to give up yeah I mean I, I don't think 
anybody, anybody will be surprised if Alonso gets it in front of Hamilton, really. I mean, it's been a wonderful fairy tale for, for Hamilton. I think he's, you know, he's kept himself together very, really well. His composure is, is terrific. Um, it, what other challenges is going to, going to be Fuji, the next race? New to everybody, fresh to, to absolutely everybody. And I don't know. The young rookie it might just help him. I don't. I don't know why. The, you know, the, there'll be no shortcuts for Alonso and Raikkonen um, and Amasa, the guys that have done it before. They they'll know a quick way round China and they'll know a quick way round uh, Brazil, if you know what I mean. There'll be a mm. day in front of, of Hamilton. I just wonder if he couldn't put something together uh, at, at Fuji that might just give him a couple more points. You know, he might get himself in front of uh, Alonso. And to be honest. If he's as long as he finishes, if he can finish second, he'll keep Ferrari at bay. So then it's just going to be down to the two McLaren drivers, and who knows what the politics is there. I think we've kind of lost the plot, but you know, just let them race. And you know, I know they've got to be extra extra careful at, uh, at McLaren today, but watching the way that first lap went, and I'm sure somebody on that pit wall wanted to make a call to one of the drivers, behave yourselves. <laughs> well, I think that's the message too. Ron Dennis will know if he hasn't got enough troubles already that Fernando Alonso, the relationship has chilled as we talked about earlier. And Alonso doesn't really care now, does he? He's just looking after number one, which all good champions have to do anyway, but he is just going to go for it. And he will, there's no point in talking to him and telling him to back off anyway, is there? Because he isn't going to listen. No, no, absolutely. And, and he's quite right too. I mean. Listen, winners don't apologise. He, he's a two-time world champion, looking pretty close to being a third one. Nobody's going to be able to tell him anything at all. He's made up his mind what he's what he's going to do, and he's just going to go out and do it. And you know, we're the lucky ones, Morris, because we're the fans. We're going to see it. I mean, I wouldn't want to have to be in there trying to manage it. I just want to sit back and watch it and enjoy it. Well, let's get the championship contenders out of the way. And, oh, it's fantastic. Really, we talk about them all day. But we have to pay due respects, Ian, to the rest of the 22-car field. Uh, finishing fifth because, of course, the two Ferraris and the two McLarens finished ahead of them. So where would you expect Nick Hadfield to be? Fifth place, BMW. But a good drive from him because he made a bit of a mess of the start. Uh, ran wide at the uh, first corner. Finished the first lap in eighth place and got himself up to, uh, to fifth at the end. Now, that is actually, in Formula One terms, particularly in this company where everything is so close quite an achievement isn't it yeah i was pretty impressed with nick i, I know what he was trying to do and uh, at, at the start if you set yourself out to go out wide because you think everybody else is going to be tripping over themselves and banging wheels and losing nose boxes so i think he quite deliberately set himself apart from the rest of them who bunched up and he thought he'd be able to swoop around the outside of them what he didn't count on was the two mclarens or hamilton being knocked out wide and and that really held him up and he lost that really a handful of handful of places but yeah as, as you say recovered really well and not particularly spectacular style he just did it efficiently didn't he i mean uh, you know and that i think is a style of nick he keeps on picking out all these point scoring places for for bmw and there's no fireworks about it he's he's just there but and you know, there's, it, it, it's a bit frustrating, really. There's no real fireworks to, to go with it because he's, he's doing a good job and not enough people are noticing, really. But, uh, no, as, as ever, you know, just ruthlessly efficient, I suppose, is what you've got to say about Nick. 
And the next three there is Nico Rosberg was sixth, Mark Webber seventh, and Heike Kovalainen eighth. I mean, good drives from all three. Uh, Rosberg again continuing to impress. Uh, good qualification from him yesterday and then made the most of it uh, during the race. Mark Webber, again, the good thing about that is he finished uh, because <laughs> of the reliability problems because teammate David Coulthard went out with hydraulics problems. Coulthard was one stopping and had a pretty lively race because of that. But anyway, there's uh, Mark Webber in seventh. But Heike Kovalainen, good race from him because that was just a one-stop strategy he was on. He, he took advantage at the start, ran around the inside, the opposite to what Heidfeld did, took advantage of it, gained ground by holding others up and then taking advantage when he made his one-stop. But a strong drive from the Finn and the Renault. Yeah, I'm, I'm really impressed with Kovalainen. I think uh, I'm, I was guilty as a number of people for not being impressed with what he was doing at the at the start of the season. You know, he had that horrible start to the Canadian Grand Prix. He had a couple of shunts and this, that and the other, but he he, he had a great race there. And I think he finished third or fourth or something like that against all the odds. And from that moment on, he's kind of taken control of that Renault team. The Fisichella has had you know, disappointments and stuff, but actually hasn't driven well, hasn't qualified well. Kovalainen's kind of made himself, I think, very comfortable there. I, I hear that his position isn't that comfortable there, but it bloody well ought to be. And if it's not, uh, people will be looking to, to snap him up. Another great performance. And one stop round here, not easy because that's an awful lot of fuel to carry all the way up that hill. It's quite, quite a penalty uh, on, on the car, a bit punishing on the tyres. So it, it was very special he did that. Uh, Nico Rosberg, as you say, yet again um, done a very good job. If only Williams had a PR machine, perhaps the, perhaps the world would know about this a little bit. Of course, terrible waste of money, that sort of thing. Um, <laughs> um, but uh, no, I think he's, he's doing a good job. And, you know, Mark Webber, again, a workmanlike job, really. I mean, that, that car is not a bad car. It doesn't finish many races. And, you know, when it does, Mark puts it in the bottom point scoring place. I don't think that's quite what Mr. Matisic was looking from uh, his, his investment. But, you know, Mark's doing a solid job. Now, finishing uh, out of the points just was Robert Kubica paying the price really for an engine change, 10 place uh, grid drop because of that and was always recovering from that position. Every time he came out of the pits, he was stuck in traffic. So that's really a very end for a very frustrating day for him. Ralph Schumacher brought the Toyota ahead of home in 10th ahead of his teammate, Jarno Trulli. Trulli qualifying well and then just fading, never really doing much. Liuzzi then in the Toro Rosso, Rubens Barrichello was 13th. Now, 14th place, a spiker. Adrian Sutil, quite an eventful race for him. He was in the frame. He was on TV quite a bit. He was having a good scram. Yeah, I mean, he made uh, he made a good start. Um, and, yeah, we were on a two-stop uh, strategy, and he went from 20th to 12th in a space of about seven or eight laps, steaming past people going up the hill. Uh, he passed a Toyota, which uh, you can imagine uh, chief designer, our chief designer, Mike Gascoigne, had been waiting for for quite a long time. <laughs> and who was also on a two-stopper? I mean, it wasn't as if he was on a one-stop race or anything like, like that. Then he came up against David Coulthard, and uh, David used all his wily experience to block us for 11 laps. And uh, to be honest, that's where we lost the advantage to, to the one-stoppers. Um, if we'd have got past David, then yeah, I think we, well, we'd have finished in 12th place. We'd have been in front of uh, Truly, Liuzzi, Barrichello. We were right behind anyway. Um, so it was a good outing for our beach back car, the first 
Mike Gascoigne influenced car, if you like. It's, you know, it's clearly, it is seven tenths quicker than the old dog that we were racing at the beginning of the year. There's more bits to come in the next couple of races, and it's putting us back in the frame. You know, we've been waiting two and a half years to get to, to get to this point, and, you know, it's, it's lifted everybody, and, you know, the target is qualifying the top ten at the British Grand Prix next year, and finishing the points every race from there on, and I think we're on target for that. And it must be encouraging for your new investors, whether any of them here, Ian? Uh, half of them were, well, half of the existing ones who were staying uh, were here. Uh, some of the new ones were here yesterday. We've had messages from all over the place. They've been watching it from all over the world. I, uh, We've got to wait till the 28th of September for the deal to be finalised, but everybody's pretty excited by it, uh, to be honest. We just keep our fingers crossed that uh, it's all going to work out and next year we'll be back where we ought to be. Okay, there were uh, five retirements from the 22 starters, Jensen Button and David Coulthard, both going out with hydraulics problems. The others were uh, Alexander Wirt, Sebastian Vettel, who had a steering problem. Car wouldn't turn right. He said, not the sort of thing you want at Spa-Francorchamps. And Giancarlo Fisichella, an earlier retirement after the first lap, he actually started from the pit lane in the spare uh, Renault. Uh, there was an engine change there, and also he was unhappy with the handling of the race car yesterday. So that was the end of the day for him. Fastest lap, went to Felipe. Massa. So after 13 rounds of the championship, the, the, the points positions look like this. We have Lewis Hamilton still leading on 97 points, just two points behind him after finishing third today, Fernando Alonso. Then on 84 points with his fourth win of the season comes Kimi Raikkonen, now on 84. Felipe Massa dropping out of the picture, as we were saying earlier. He's on 77 points after finishing second. The next round of the championship takes us to the start of our Far East Tour, where we, uh, we go to Fuji in Japan. And as I said, Kimi Raikkonen says he's no idea which way that track goes. It never seems to face him. I'm sure he will, uh, he will soon learn it quickly enough. We will be there to cover the adventures of Formula One as this championship heads towards a fantastic climax. Hopefully we'll be done with the politics now after we've had enough politics to last a lifetime here uh, at Spa-Francorchamps. We're now, as I say, going to Japan, China, and the final race in Brazil. But in two weeks' time, Ian and I will be back uh, on Formula One show on Guardian Unlimited. Join us then. But until then, please remember, drive safely, keep the revs up, and thanks a lot for joining us. This is Morris Hamilton saying cheerio from Belgium. Guardian Unlimited.